Cultivating Roots, a podcast for sports turf managers, featuring Robbie Miller, Matt Parrott, and Clark Cox. Joining us today will be John Turnauer, Director of Field Operations for the Washington Nationals. Welcome to Episode 4 of Cultivating Roots. We want to thank all of our listeners for joining us on the three previous episodes that we've recorded. Uh, we're excited today to host John Turnauer from the Washington Nationals. Before we hear from John today, though, we want to take some time and thank the 2020 partners of the North Carolina and South Carolina STMA. With the support of the partners, each chapter is able to host local events and host the Southeast Regional Sports Turf Conference in Myrtle Beach each November. Welcome to Cultivating Roots, John. We're excited to have you today. Uh, Won't you start by telling our listeners a little bit about your role with uh, the Washington Nationals? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I appreciate you guys extending the invite out and being a part of this. And I know that it's something that I've heard you guys discussing for quite a while now. And, um, you know, I'm excited for you guys to get this up and going. And again, just appreciate you guys extending the invite for having me on today. And obviously, my career really got started down there in North Carolina, where I was fortunate enough to uh, meet a lot of you guys. And, um, you know, I look back on those days when we were all young in school, getting our career started. And, you know, here we are, I don't know, 20 years later. And some of the relationships that we've developed over that time, I mean, it's, I, I always tell people this is, these, some of these relationships have been career long relationships that we've all created together. And, uh, you know, it's something I wouldn't change for anything. And a lot of relationships that I have uh, put a lot of value in and, and really appreciate and respect the folks that, um, that are in this industry. So, but yeah, I mean, my career got started down there in North Carolina, uh, one of the turf program there at NC State. During that time, I was uh, going back home to Massachusetts, uh, where my family was, and uh, working on a golf course back home. And that's really kind of where I fell in love with working in turf management. You know, uh, just really enjoyed it, really enjoyed being outside, grew up working outside in my parents' yard, and uh, knew that I wanted to pursue this as a career. I didn't know if I wanted to go landscape side, turf side. Uh, if I went turf side, did I want to go with sports or go with the golf side? And as much as I enjoyed working on golf, uh, really enjoyed the people I worked with and, you know, all the experiences that I gained from that, you know, but when I was in my last, last year of school there, I uh, wanted to uh, see what it was like to work on sports turf. Fortunately for us there at NC State, we had a a great uh, program there with the athletic field staff there, you know, that was led by Ray Brinsfield and, and Clark Cox. And that's really where I got to meet Clark and um, developed a friendship that I've had with him ever since then. And was volunteering there for, um, I don't know, not quite a year throughout the fall and spring semester, but upon graduation, the spring semester is when I got my first full-time opportunity. And that was with Kevin Robinson over at the Durham Bulls and uh, worked there for the 2001 baseball season. And Robbie, I think that's where you and I met. And Matt, I believe you and I met uh, there as well. And then I went back to NC State, worked for about a year, year and a half there. And about 2003, February of 2003 is when I uh, had an opportunity to go work for the Baltimore Orioles. That's kind of how I got in, in, into Major League Baseball. I was working full-time there at NC State. 
uh, wanted to try to get back closer to home to New England where my family was and had an opportunity there in Baltimore to, to start out a grounds crew there that eventually led into assistant groundskeeper position and worked there for three years, had an opportunity to move out west to San Diego and uh, worked for the San Diego Padres in the same role as assistant groundskeeper and uh, worked out there for four years, the 2006 season all the way through 2009. And uh, 2010 was my first opportunity as a, a head groundskeeper here at the Washington Nationals. So this will be the start of my uh, 11th season here in DC in that position as head groundskeeper. And, um, and I, I look back on that time and it just, it's, it has flown by, you know, these 10 years has flown, these 20 years has flown to being in the industry and a lot of great memories, a lot of, lot of fun and um, looking forward to, to keep that going. Hey, John, you mentioned coming to Washington from San Diego. What, what was that transition like coming from, I mean, just from the weather standpoint to, especially on a baseball field, yeah. how, how was that? Well, I, it's funny because I get asked that question quite a bit. And I think that the transition going from Baltimore to San Diego was more of a, of a shock and a transition period as opposed to coming back over to the East Coast. You know, growing up on the East Coast up in New England and dealing with the four seasons and, you know, when you move out West and you're living in Southern California, all of a sudden, November, December, January, and February don't take on the same meaning as they do on the East Coast. You know, when you're wearing shorts 12 months out of the year and don't see rain a whole lot, you don't see the leaves changing color, you don't see snow. That was the biggest shock for me and the hardest thing to you know, to adapt to. Um, but I remember going to work there throughout the winter months and sitting there in shorts and a sweatshirt and watching the national news there in the morning time and seeing what the weather was doing across the country and thinking of all my friends and family back on the East Coast that was dealing with winter storms and all that. And here we are mowing grass and irrigating and doing all those fun things, you know, 12 months a year out there. So that, that was the biggest change for me, but coming back to the East coast, you know, I was familiar with, with the mid Atlantic area working in Baltimore for three years and uh, I was familiar with DC a little bit. And I was very, very anxious to get back to the East coast and certainly into the DC Baltimore area, a place where I really enjoyed living, you know, being part of the, the nationals organization and living in DC. It's, you know, there's, there's a lot of fun and excitement with that and uh, so something that I was really, really looking forward to. And it certainly hasn't let me down at all. Hey, John, how many times do you have to pull the tarp when you were in San Diego? Well, funny enough about that, my first game in San Diego, 2006, was rained out. No kidding. Was rained out. Um, would have never have guessed that. It was against the San Francisco Giants. Um, and uh, I, I couldn't believe it. But... Um, you know, as far as pulling tarp in the course of a year there, I mean, it was, I don't even know if you could count them on two hands. You can pull tarp more in one week in DC, right? Then you can. There's no doubt. No doubt. And when you roll the tarp out there, it's, you know, you're, do, you're dodging rodents because they're all rolled up and <laughs> mice running out and <laughs> open up the tarp and you got uh you got holes in the tarp, you know, after it's been rolled up for months on end. And, um, you know, you never knew what you were going to find when you ro rolled it out. How'd you adjust to the time change? I used to travel for work and that was always rough for me. I guess most of my friends were here on the East coast. So that was always tough. Yeah. Yeah. It was certainly tough. And, um, you know, you, obviously anytime you send a text message or placed a phone call, you had to kind of think twice about it. You know, I certainly uh, didn't want to be that person that 
10 o'clock on West Coast time, you're sending text messages out to your friends on the East Coast. Yeah, the time change was different. I, and I, I'll tell you what I thought was the most interesting thing or the most unique thing is uh, when we were out on the field doing our pregame prep, you'd be watching the out-of-town scoreboard and seeing scores from all the East Coast games and who was in rain delays, who got postponed. And here we are, as games were wrapping up on the East Coast, we were just getting started with ours. So that that was very, uh, you know, very different and something you had to adapt to. And, um, you know, I can ad shamefully admit it now, and I can only say this because I have an appreciation for it, but coming from the East Coast, going to the West Coast, but I can remember kind of sitting there and seeing whoever was in a rain delay or postponed. You kind of chuckle a little bit about it, say, oh, you feel bad for them going in a rain delay, and here you are in sunny San Diego, and knowing each day when you go to work, you didn't have to really worry about weather. You actually have to pull a lot of tarp now? Or do you, you have a whole crew that does that? Uh, yeah, we've got a crew, but certainly still involved with all that. You know, the early morning tarp pulls, you know, you certainly don't have the staff at that time that we do during game time. So, I mean, it's there's nothing fun about pulling tarp. So, it's probably my least worst memory hands. of baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's all hands on deck when you're doing it. And full disclosure, I will say that there are times I'm obviously not out there pulling tarp with, with the staff. And you know, it's never done intentionally. I mean, I, obviously want to be out there helping as much as possible, but sometimes schedule or meetings or things like that just kind of prevent you from being able to participate. But John, that brings me to a, a question and, and I don't know if you can talk about it or not, but a couple of years ago, you guys were, I think the first, if not one of the first to, and maybe still the only team that has a full logo tarp. Do you guys still have that tarp in DC? The full logo, no, um, but you are right. I, I know that there were some teams kind of dabbling a little bit in with having a uh, sponsored tarp, and uh, we reached out to some of our colleagues that were doing that, and uh, you know, there's certain things and um, you know that come along with that tarp that you've got to you don't want to compromise or jeopardize the meaning of that tarp and why it's being used. But if you can take advantage of it and brand it somehow, you know, certainly it's a great uh, advertising opportunity. When we did ours, I can't remember what year we started ours in, maybe around 2016, maybe. We did a full, pretty much a full-on advertisement across the entire tarp. It looked great. It was very impactful. When you rolled it out, it was right there in your face and, you know, certainly sent, you know, sent a message. Uh, it was a Skittles tarp and, uh, you know, it was very successful advertising and, you know, it worked out great. But from our side of it, we had to change the material that we were using for our tarp to, to have that all put on there. It was all digitally printed. So we were, in the years prior, always using a lightweight polyethylene tarp. And in order for us to do a digital print, we'd have to convert over to a vinyl tarp. So the, just the sheer weight difference on that um, really impacted uh, our operation on that. And, um, you know, our goal is always when you're using a lightweight tarp in the morning time when you don't have staff, you know, the whole thought is, you know, if you can still be able to put it out with four or five people or be able to take it off with that amount of people, um, you know, that's what you want to do. But with a vinyl tarp, it was certainly we're not moving that tarp with four or five people. Um, so it really had to make us rethink things. And, um, you know, I, I think the one thing that I stress the most here is, although that the most people see the tarp when the gates are open, you know, if we put the tarp out a handful of times when the gates are open, you know, the amount of times that we put it out when the gates are closed far outweighs what we do when the gates are open. 
And when the gates are closed, we just don't have the right number of staff here to help us uh, to put that tarp out. So back to your question, Maddie. So yeah, we've, we've had that out there. And since then, um, we did two years with that vinyl tarp. First year was a 12 ounce vinyl, uh, all with digital print. The next year we uh, went to a 10 ounce vinyl to see if that would help us out from a weight standpoint. It did, but uh, when that tarp was wet, it was still as heavy as can be, very hard to maneuver. And then uh, finally, we were able to get back to a lightweight tarp uh, over the last two years. Uh, we are now using a sticker decal so that the advertisement's actually been really, really shrunk up. It's, it's only over a small portion of the tarp now. Did that tarp, when it was digitally printed, did that affect the way that you had to care for that tarp in terms of how it held up and the appearance of it? And no, not a whole... Not a whole lot. Uh, it didn't really change anything from our end. You know, obviously, you know, if you have a lightweight tarp, you have some flexibility to move the tarp around. You know, if you have to rotate sides or flip it over and do that, you know, unfortunately with it being branded like that, there's only one way that that tarp can go. So, I mean, you know, it impacted us a little bit with that from that regard, but overall performance and all that, that's one thing I was concerned about is uh, when they do this digital print and they put the tarp out and they put it all together and they glue it together, how is it going to hold up? How are the seams going to hold up? And, you know, if we get a hole in the tarp, you know, how are we going to manage that? Are we going to patch it or what other way are we going to manage that? And that's the thing with tarps is, you know, certainly lightweight tarps is, you know, you only get a year or two use out of them, you know, anything beyond two years, it's, you get more and more holes and the seams start pulling apart. So with that vinyl tarp, you know, we really had to do our best to try to get it to, to last as long as possible. So is, is the new tarp you have uh, kind of leads us into our next little bit here. The new tarp got a world champion logo on it or? <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. Uh, it's uh, still Skittles. However, uh, our mount tarp does have a world series champion logo on it. So you, you uh, heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to put it out yet, but it's it's a sharp looking tarp, and uh, I'm hoping that we can uh, hoping that we can get it out here soon. Do you have your ring with you? What's that? Do you have your ring with you? No ring, no. But that that would have been a great addition to have on right now. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about that experience, John. There's not a lot of people that get to experience that to be able to experience hosting a World Series. Uh, just give us a little bit about how how that experience went and what it was like. Yeah, and, and I'll be quite honest with you, it's it's something that, you know, we all hope that we'll be able to experience something, you know, on that level. And, um, you know, it's something that we all hope for. You just never know when that time is going to come, if it does come. And I don't think anything can really prepare you for it on what that's going to be like. Uh, over the last several years, we've uh, we've been fortunate enough to be in playoff games, but we've never been fortunate enough to, to go far into the playoffs so this year was the first time that we got into the playoffs as a wild card team. You know, we got past that game, got past the, um, the NLDS and then the NLCS and then under the World Series. So uh, it was all very exciting. And, you know, I look at it from two perspectives, you know, the, the fan perspective, it was unbelievable to be able to be out there and witness all of that and enjoy the excitement, you know, here in the city, as well as with the organization and, you know, seeing the team out there throughout the course of the year and seeing all the work that they put in, the coaching staff, the players, all the support staff, everybody in the baseball operation side of things. It's, you know, it's a tremendous amount of work that goes in um, into a baseball season. So to, to be able to, to experience that and get all the way to the ultimate prize of the World Series, I mean, it was, 
you know, it was just unbelievable to experience it all. And you just felt so much, you know, appreciation and excitement for everybody that's involved with that from the organization standpoint to the players, to the coaches, to all the scouts. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And, um, you know, just really, really fun to experience it all. Now, from an employee standpoint of being able to be out there and managing the field, it's the three games that we hosted in the World Series, it was, I really wish that I could do it all over again and enjoy it more and reaching out to some folks and people that were reaching out to me just saying, hey, enjoy it. Um, you know, it's three games, uh, something you've worked a long time for. You don't know when you're going to experience it again. And it's all true, but I just couldn't get that. I couldn't get past that. Um, you know, it's the, those three games are the biggest three games history of the organization and the eyes of the baseball world on you. And certainly, you know, you don't want the field to be in any way, or, um, you know, impacting the game in a negative way. And, um, you know, it was every single pitch, every single ground ball, every single fly ball. I mean, you watch every bit of that game and it was just, you know, it was just always praying something would not go wrong. So the people who just say, oh, well, you just treat every game as equals. Uh, there are no uh, games that are bigger than others. As far as our job is concerned, that's a bunch of baloney, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think it's fair to say that we all, you know, take, you know, what we do with a lot of pride and we want to be successful and we want to be consistent. We want to treat every game the same. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that we do as an industry. You know, but as those games, you know, get elevated in importance, you know, certainly at that time of year in the postseason, I mean, you certainly feel that that level of, you know, stress and importance and and pressure. And, um, you know, we certainly didn't do anything different at the field during those three games of the World Series. It was all the same thing. But for what it was, it was, you know, just everything was just magnified. How did the, the pressure or the nerves build? as y'all went from each round? I think it was just more and more excitement from the rounds. You know, I think the wild card game was just so exciting the way that, that we uh, won that game. And, you know, that, that, that excitement just went right into the next round. And, you know, we were familiar with, you know, being in the, um, in the first round, the NLDS, we've done that uh, quite a few times over the years prior. So, you know, I, I, Yes, I was nervous. The pressure was there. The excitement was there, uh, but it all felt somewhat familiar. But when you get into the next round and uh, the championship series round, and then you got in the World Series, it was it it definitely took on a different meaning for me. Um, just the the pressure of it, and you know, obviously, weather's in the back of your mind too. You don't weather to be, weather to become an issue. And for those World Series games, we actually did have some uh, weather in the area for the first two games, and you know, so that just adds a whole nother level of stress. And it does for regular season games as well. There's nothing easy when you're dealing with weather. There's just, there's so much that goes into those decisions. You know, it's, it's, it's very nerve wracking and uh, it's stressful. And, you know, you get in the World Series, you, you, you don't want weather to, to dictate an outcome of a game ever. And certainly not for the World Series. How did your interaction with the team change, if at all? No, not at all. Um, you know, I thought the players, I mean, you know, they were just having fun. I mean, what you saw on TV is what they were doing out there, you know, from what I could tell, from what I witnessed, um, you know, they were just out having a good time. And when they were out there for the workouts, it was just normal business, uh, just like it is during the season when they come out for BP. I mean, it's, 
everything was just normal business to them. And you would have never known when the World Series hit that, you know, it, it didn't show in any way. You know, they come to the ballpark ready to work every single day. They put a lot of time and effort into their pregame routines and all the workouts they do and the practices they do. And, you know, just it's, it's unbelievable just everything that goes into it. But, you know, as, as, as the playoffs went on, I didn't really notice any, any change in their routine. It was just normal business for them. And that's kind of what we were trying to do, too, from our standpoint is, you know, let's just treat these games like any other game and let's not be nervous about going out and doing these things. But, you know, the things that are just so simple to our day to day operations, you know, you go out and, you know, mow the field for two hours, you know, it's generally a nice relaxing time for us to to go out there and see the field and, you know, kind of think about how you're going to, you know, manage it over, you know, the course of the day or the, you know, the upcoming road trip and you know, different things that you want to do out there. But you're out there doing a playoff game. It's like, oh God, I hope this hydraulic line don't break. I hope, you know, there's not a, uh, you know, uh, a fuel line leak. And, you know, these are all the things that come into your mind that you don't normally think about during the season. You know? John, could you, could you feel the, like, so, you know, obviously last year, the, the Nationals didn't start the season off kind of the way that they had hoped, but then there was this rally. I mean, could you feel that groundswell early in the season? You probably thought that going to the World Series was not completely, you know, in the cards, but could you feel that building as the season went on, the organization and the team? And Yeah, I think that you could certainly feel the momentum and the excitement and, um, and, and everything that came along with that. You know, I can, one thing that sticks out in my mind is, you know, what, what led to that turnaround in late May there and early June was I remember getting a call from uh, one of our coaches and, you know, he um, said, Hey, you know, moving forward, just, you know, just be ready to go with early work every single day that we're here. Um, you know, whether we communicate it with you or not, you know, it's going to start doing this, we're going to start doing that. And, um, you know, we're going to change our approach and, um you know, they've always been very aggressive with their approach and their workout schedule, but for them to just say, hey, every, every day at this time, just be ready. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, kind of rechange some things here. And, you know, yeah, you could definitely see it from June all the way through the end of the season, the momentum there, the excitement, the excitement within the organization and, and all those things. So, I mean, that, and that's, you know, what, what you shoot for every year, you know, it's, you know, every year, opening day of every year, it's, you know, it's, it's a lottery, you know, who's, who's going to get all the way to the end. And it's something that every team wants to do. And as an employee, you want to see the team succeed and the organization to be successful. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was certainly exciting to see that throughout the summer months, all the way into the fall. So how, how long, how much longer did your season run through the world series than on a typical a typical year for y'all if you were not a playoff team? Um, I, it, it would probably be almost right about a month extra. We played all the way up until, what, October 30th? And I think that's what, yeah, October 30th, because the next day the players came home on Halloween Day. You know, it was about a, a whole extra month, and, you know, that's something that we weren't accustomed to, you know, playing that, that deep in October, and it does change some things. Um, you know, generally that's a good time of year for – cool season turf to uh, to recover from summer injury and you know your management practices change a little bit but you know the thing that we always got to be careful about when we're coming out of the summer months with the longer days is you know as we get into the uh, later parts of September the weather really does start to change and uh, your sun angles start to change and your management practices need to start to change a little bit you know mainly there with the infield clay and you know, as you go into October, what we realize is, you know, how much 
our maintenance on the infield clay was, um, you know, so much different than it was during the summer months, mainly from a moisture management standpoint. Um, you know, so we had to be really careful with that because it was kind of uncharted territory for us, you know, as, as October went on, we weren't taking any chances with rain and not putting the tarp on. If there was any rain in the forecast, we tarped, whether they were in town or out on the road, you know, during the playoffs, we just, we weren't taking a chance with any of that. Again, you've got shorter day lanes and sun's not as intense and, you know, drying out and all those things. So we didn't want to take a chance with the dirt being too wet and not being playable or for, you know, give us enough time to even be able to dry it out. So, you know, it certainly changed our approach on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I I know that I remember you and I had talked during that time and you know, last year, our season, so our minor league season closely mimics a, a big league schedule. You guys do play for about four weeks longer than we do, but I just remember as you guys were kind of making that push and you and I taught our last home game last year in Charlotte was, for a frame of reference, was August the 27th. Yeah, I remember that. And, and it's just amazing, you know, you guys went a full two months past that and obviously yeah. have the hardware to show for it, but I know that it it, it had to have affected the way that you, you know, your daily routine, so to speak, especially that late in the season. And then, of course, uh, for those that don't know, you guys had to turn right around after that ended. And, you know, there really wasn't a downtime because of the, uh, because of the winter event that you guys held. Yeah, that was a quick turnaround. You know, the, honestly, the whole month of October was a blur. Um, you know, you go through all the excitement of, of the postseason, the World Series, and World Series happened, and then uh, we go right into the parade a couple days later, which was fun to be a part of and, and to be able to witness all that in person. And then that was on a Saturday, and then Monday here we are loading in um, for a uh, for a winter event that we had out here. So we've got Christmas lights and Christmas trees and ice rinks and all these winter displays coming out. Not even a week later, so you know it was it was a uh, it was an interesting transition to say the least. We obviously knew it was was happening. We were all prepared for it to go from one high of the World Series to, you know, within a week, you know, out there setting up for an event that, you know, was going to be lasting for six weeks throughout the holiday season. So, you know, it was it was a it was a unique time, but nonetheless, fun and challenging and exciting. And, um, you know, as exciting as the postseason was, you know, that winter event, that was exciting as well. I mean, to see the ballpark being used at a time of year that it's typically not being used. You know, I thought it was a very unique event. It was a great way to, to utilize the stadium throughout the winter months. And um, to see it all set up for that event was was very interesting and, um, you know, pretty exciting. So, uh, you know, fun to have it out there. And uh, it's neat to see the crowds that were coming in throughout the duration of that event. And, again, you, you walk out of the shop and you see an ice rink out there and people ice skating out in center field. So it was it was pretty neat. How many special events do y'all typically have in a year? You know, I always say that we average anywhere between, you know, 60 to 80 events. And, you know, I I account for uh, everything that takes place out there. So if we have a concert, you know, every day that they're here setting up, I, I count each day towards that. So even though we have a concert, that's not one event, that's five or six events because it's every single day leading up to that concert, there's obviously activity out there. So if we have a couple different softball games in the same day, I count each softball game as an event as opposed to one. So, you know, it really all depends on how you count it. So, but, you know, on an average year, 
we're probably in that 60 to 80 range of non-baseball events. Um, Is there one event that's type of event that's easier than the other? Well, I think, you know, for the most part, they're all fairly manageable. You know, obviously the, the concert during the season is, you know, one, one extreme. And then your softball game or corporate BP, uh, those are all very manageable. And, um, you know, we've got a great relationship here with the other departments here. And, you know, we're able to be flexible with dates and we communicate throughout the off season about these events. And we look at the baseball schedule and we try to figure out what are the best days to, to put these events in. So, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have those good professional relationships here with uh, our other departments and, you know, that, that understanding that they've got a job to do and we have a job to do. And we want to be able to fi- facilitate all of their needs and their client needs. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good uh, partnership and relationship that we have with them. So, you know, that's a lot of what we do during the off season is planning for the upcoming year and working out events and, um, you know, trying to get creative with some and, um, but, you know, uh, to your question, Robbie, you know, is, is one more stressful than the other and, you know, it's, or manageable. And I, I think for the most part, they're all fairly manageable right now. Do you go into each event with a specific management plan for that event? Or do you kind of have a, a tailored event that you or tailored program that you know you're going to do similar things for, for the events? Well, I think the ones that um, really, you know, cause us to think outside the box and, and really try to be strategic is when we have concerts. Um, those are the events that put the biggest stress load on the field and, and the turf itself. And generally those concerts are during the hottest summer months of the year, uh, July and August. So, you know, we've got to be very mindful of what we're doing out there from a, from a maintenance standpoint and how do we want to recover? How do we want to maintain the field once we get out of that? So, um, you know, I, I don't want to say that we've got a specific tailored program for each different type of event, but the concerts are definitely the one that we try to s- stick to a script as much as possible. But obviously weather kind of throws, you know, can throw a wrench in any of your plans there. So we just want to make sure that we plan accordingly and, and uh, react appropriately, uh, react appropriately in those situations. John, we've talked about, um, you know, in previous episodes, how as an industry, we're able to kind of lean on one another and, and uh, we're very open group, you know, in terms of helping each other out and stuff. And I mean, you, you guys have hosted some, some really, I'll say unique, but it's starting to become the norm um, in terms of concerts. You know, you had the all-star game a couple of years ago. You've done the, uh, the winter classic. Talk about how you've kind of reached out and, and been able to lean on people uh, in the industry and, and uh, to help facilitate some of those plant planning pieces that you, that you put in place going into these events. Yeah. I think that's, you know, the great thing about this industry is that, uh, you know, everybody's all in this together and to be able to rely on all of our colleagues for information and input and, um, you know, to be able to get information on these type of events. I mean, that's how we can be successful. And, you know, when it comes, you know, to hosting the winter classic or the all-star game, um, certainly when we got word that the uh, winter classic was going to be an event they were having, you know, obviously the communication with the NHL was, uh, was great. They, they have a great team that, that, that they have put together that, 
They were very informative. They were very well organized. They had a plan in place. And, um, you know, we relied on those folks quite a bit. And they really kind of steered things for us. From my perspective, obviously, I wanted to reach out to the folks that have hosted not only that event or any or any type of uh, a hockey event in years prior. So to be able to, to reach out and get some information on that, some best practices, strategies, what to look for, things along those lines were super helpful. Um, and then on the back end of the, an event like that, at that time of year, you're putting a new field in right in the middle of winter. So you've got, you got the weather challenge there to, to deal with, you know, the, the NHL was out of the stadium mid January. So we essentially had two months to get a field put back together throughout January and February. You know, Mother Nature did throw some curveballs this year with some, uh, that year with uh, some snow events and happened to plan around that. But, you know, it's, it's all very unique events. You know, the, the, the Winter Classic was very unique. The All-Star Game was very unique. And again, you know, being able to rely on uh, other folks that have hosted that event years prior, uh, again, much like the NHL, the MLB, that's their event, All-Star Game. And they do all the scheduling. They do all the... Um, you know, the, the guidance there and all the input and, you know, we're, we're there to facilitate it all and, you know, be able to work with them and coordinate things. So um, that was a, a lot of fun to be a part of. A lot of people were involved with that. Clark, on this call, you uh, were a big part of coming up and being able to, to help out with that and witness that and fun to, to have some, some colleagues throughout the industry come up and to offer some, you know, uh, extra help throughout that week. And it was a lot of fun. So it's, you know, those, those events are very unique. And, um, you know, that's what's, what's great about our industry is, you know, that we get to be exposed to those type of events and it challenges us. You know, it's fun to be a part of. And, um, you know, thankfully that, you know, we've, we've got, you know, the, um, the group of folks that we have in this industry to be able to really rely on information and guidance and help. So that's um, you know, just um, a, gr a great thing about this industry. And your attitude, John, towards the outside events, I think is as good as probably any groundskeeper that I've ever heard you hear a lot of people complain and we all we all do we 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 got into this business for a reason uh to manage athletic fields but I think in uh you know a lot of times we get caught up in that and we don't look at how these outside events maybe help our employers long term I hear a lot of us in our industry complain and really bitch and moan about these things. And I think your attitude is as, as good as anybody's I've ever heard is you realize that that's part of, of your job. And, uh, it's, it's maybe not the, the number one thing, but, uh, it's, it's definitely something that let's face it. We, you got a stadium that sits there. That's a multi-million dollar stadium that when no one's in it, it's, it's not really doing anybody any good. So to try to put people in those seats or concerts or events is, I think that's that's good for everybody, and it's, it's. I think sometimes we as sports turf managers have to accept that that's that is part of our role, uh, instead of fighting it all the time. I think you got to look at it like the way that I've always tried to look at it, Clark. Is our fields are really, if you compare them, they're, they're kind of like a hotel room. You know, if a day goes by that a hotel room doesn't get sold, you never have the opportunity to sell that hotel that hotel room again, and. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to put events on our field every day, but the reality of the world is that, you know, as employees, we, we have to be compensated. Um, players have to be compensated, and it takes money to compensate those people. 
And at the end of the day, it is a business. And so, you know, I've, I've always tried to, and you look at John's resume, I mean, he has too. And then you had the concert uh, done at your place last year, or year before, um, you know, we have, we have to be proactive and figuring out how to do these events because they're not, they're not going away. And it's the reality of the, the world that we're in now. And uh, it's a whole lot easier to be proactive about them uh, than it is reactive at the end of the day, I, I think. And if, if you don't choose to embrace it, uh, I think in this day and age, you're behind the curve. So. And, and I think it's a great way for sports turf managers to increase their value to your organization. Uh, instead of fighting and pushing back every time somebody wants to do something, make that a, an opportunity to, to prove how good you are and, and what you can uh, – I mean, obviously, uh, I see the side of it where you don't want that to become too much of a common practice, but I do think it, it, it's a place for a, an educated sports turf manager to shine in the organization as to what we can do with a, with a field – uh, and turn it around and make it playable again in a short amount of time. So I think it, it really is it, it's, it's good for our industry to have people that are willing to do those things. I think yeah, it's a good I, way, too, to get a seat at the table. You absolutely. Know, get, it a, get a seat at the table, get in front of your, your ownership and your management, and um, maybe, maybe show them ways that, that they can go out and get big events that are going to generate large amounts of revenue and, and, quite honestly, not to think too small. You know, um, the reality is, is you're going to make a whole lot more money on a concert or a, a big time outside event than you are opening your ballpark up every day. The team's out of town and hosting, uh, hosting batting practice for 15 or 20 bucks a head. It frees up time for you to do your job, but at the same time maximizes revenues for the organization. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think you guys are right. I mean, you, you just really gotta, you gotta embrace it. And, um, you know, it's um, like you said, Clark, you know, it, it really does, you know, increase your value here at the organization and, and your role as a sports turf manager. And, you know, I look at it as, you know, a little bit of a challenge, you know, it's, you know, you, you hear some of the events that they want to have out here and it's, you know, you, you accept the challenge and uh, you, you know, you want to, you want to be able to go out and, and be successful with it. And that's kind of my attitude every time that we have an event, and, you know, how can we be successful with this? And, um, you know, let's, let's think outside the box. Let's be creative. And, you know, at the end of the day, we don't want to co compromise the quality or the integrity of the field when the team gets back in town. But, um, you know, how, how can we be of help here to the organization to be able to generate revenue outside of just baseball games? Because uh, as you guys mentioned, you know, when there's no baseball games, you know, you've, you've got a big facility here that's sitting here. And, you know, it's, it's a great opportunity for them to, to look at other avenues for revenue, you know, to be able to, to have a seat at the table, like you guys mentioned, I think is the ultimate sign of respect and to be able to go in there and, and to, to be on board and, and to be able to offer your thoughts and opinions and suggestions and, and uh, you know, look at ways to be creative with it, to be successful. And, you know, I think that's what we're all here for as an employee you know, and, and you want to be a team player. That's bottom line is being a team player and going out and doing your job. So, um, I, I mean, that's kind of how we, we approach things. And, you know, again, I think that we, we've got a very good balance here of, of events and baseball games. And, um, you know, we've, we've got a great 
relationship with the folks in our organization that put these events on and uh, there's a lot of respect between their departments and our departments and a, and a good understanding of what each of us have to do. You know, as Tell challenging us. as it can be for y'all to set up for those events, you know, I find it really inspiring is a lot of times uh, for me, people want to move to our synthetic field because they don't think our, our natural turf can handle different events. So it, it, for me, it's really great to see y'all push your fields and really show people what you can do with a natural surface. Yeah. John, talk a little bit about, I mean, with, with these type of events that you have and, you know, it takes, you brought up team a minute ago, it takes a team. I mean, what is your, what does your staff look like on a, on a daily basis? Either when the team's in town, how do you utilize staff for these outside events when the team's out of town? What is, what is the typical, what is the typical day if there is such a thing look like for, the grounds department at the Washington Nationals. Yeah, so we've got um, a tremendous staff here. Um, got um, our assistant Matt Coates, who's was one of my first hires here back in 2010. Who's um, you know just been absolutely tremendous over the years, and you know rely on Matt a lot and his dedication. And uh, you know he he shares the same attitude as me as you know let's let's get creative and, you know, let's be successful and we'll go out and do our jobs. So, you know, Matt, Matt's a big part of our success here and he's put in a tremendous amount of work here and um, takes a lot of pride in what he does. And then we've got uh, two other assistants, uh, Ryan Anderson and Cam Basia. You know, uh, Cam was an intern here a couple of years ago. Ryan and Cam both graduated from college a couple of years ago. Uh, they just went through their first season with us last year. Uh, so they're in their second season now. Um, but it's the four of us that are full-time, and um, in addition to the, us, uh, the full-time staff, we bring on four interns each year, generally uh, students that are studying turf management. They'll be with us throughout the summer months, and uh, in, in addition to them, we've got a uh, game staff of, um, it's a pool of 30 people, but we staff according to weather with them, so uh, we generally target 12 to 15 game day staff people to, to come in two hours before each game. So I, I always say it's a pool of about 30 people, but never will those 30 people be here all at once. Um, so we kind of just staff them according to what the weather is for that particular game. How do you break up responsibilities between your, your full-time guys? Uh, so full-time guys, what we try to do is, uh, we, you know, we always try to target, you know, a lot of cross training where um, everybody is familiar with each one of our jobs. So, you know, it's, I'm one for consistency. So yes, when the team is in town, I like to have a dedicated person on, on the game out. I like to have a dedicated person on, on, on the plate um, or on the infield. And a lot of that is just mainly just for consistency uh, throughout that homestand and throughout the year. Uh, but between the four of us, uh, we're all capable of doing each other's jobs. And, um, you know, I think that we're all looking at it the same way and uh, we all have the same mindset on those things. And what we do with our interns is we kind of um, incorporate them into each one of our responsibilities. So uh, we always have somebody, one of our full-timers working uh, with our intern staff and, you know, kind of leading by example, explain what they're doing and, and really giving our interns kind of a hands-on experience out here of uh, being able to, to work on the infield play or being able to manage moisture on the game out and, and try to get that consistency game in and game out. Um, same thing with mowing and irrigation and things that we're looking for. So between the four of us, we really try to work hand in hand with our intern staff, knowing that they are studying turf management. 
And, uh, you know, we want to be able to give them um, as much experience as we can during their time here so that when they do get out of school, hopefully they had uh, a good, uh, you know, learning opportunity here with us, but also to kind of establish their foundation as well for their career. So, uh, and that's kind of how we do that with our night staff. They've all got uh, certain uh, routines when they come in. Each one of them has a, a certain task that's assigned to them and, uh, you know, all leading up to, uh, to game time. So, you know, whether it's coming in and preparing pregame card or going out and breaking down batting practice, infield dragging before the game, putting foul lines down the batter's box. So uh, those are the folks that, you know, are all assigned to those type of duties. And same thing with them as we try to cross them up and get them experience with, with uh, each different task that we have pregame, during the game, and then postgame. So with all those people that you have working for you, Johnny, what's the one thing that you miss being able to do the most on a daily basis that you may have been able to do earlier in your career that you don't get to do as often these days? You, you know, it's, it's funny because when you think about that question, I, I think back on, God, what, what do I miss? And, you know, I, I guess I'm fortunate enough that I, I still get my hands dirty enough here that if I want to go out and if I want to mow the field, and relax for two hours and put the headphones on. I'll just mention to the guys, hey, I wouldn't mind going out and mowing the field today. Uh, Got to check in with them first. <laughs> okay with it. Um, you know, but I, I think that's one good thing here is that we've got a good routine down and, you know, a good understanding of all of our jobs here that, you know, I try to still stay involved. Obviously not to the, the level I was, you know, years ago, whether it be five years ago or you know, seven, eight, ten years ago, but, um, you know, I, I do try to stay involved as much as possible, and, you know, I think that that's, for me, I want to make sure that, you know, we're, we're meeting our goals out there, and we're delivering uh, the field that we want to to the players out there, and, you know, at the end of the day, it is, you know, it falls into my responsibilities, and, you know, I just, I want to make sure that what we're doing out there is um, still in line with, meeting our goals and expectations out there. So, you know, I, I still like being involved. And, and again, I'm not in, as involved as I was years ago, but, you know, when, it, when the time's right and I can get out there, I like to still be able to get out there and, and uh, work alongside the, uh, the crew. John, I enjoyed your video the other day on how to grow grass. What's the next lesson? Yeah, that. <laughs> how, how does that uh, come about? Do they come to you with an idea and then you put it together? That one, yes. That was um, that was actually, you know, geared towards a local STEM class here for um, uh, elementary age students. And uh, I was asked here to see if I would mind putting, you know, something together, you know, STEM related on, you know, just some things that we use out here and how we incorporate it into our day-to-day -day operation. And there was a out at-home assignment for them to grow a plant. And when we were talking about it, you know, they were thinking of flower or something like that. And, you know, we were thinking, well, if we are uh, a part of this, you know, how about we distribute grass seed here that we use here at the ballpark and, you know, we grow, you know, grass from seed as opposed to a flower of some sort. So, uh, you know, it, it all kind of fit the theme and, uh, you know, it was fun to be a part of. And, um, you know, the coordinator of that class, uh, they came and picked up some potting soil that we use here in our flower beds and uh, the seed that we use out here in the field. And, you know, it was, it all kind of came together fairly quickly and it was, you know, just kind of, you know, with, with um, everything going on with the uh, partial shutdown that we have here at work, you know, we didn't have a production crew here that could put it together. So 
it was me and a, an iPhone. And thankfully they were able to edit enough to where they could get all the background wind out. We had like, I had only a, a small window to get that put together. And I swear every day that we try to do it, we had 30, 40 mile an hour winds. And all you could hear in the background was just all these wind gusts. So I'm glad that they were able to, to edit all that out and, and put in some music in the background to kind of dress it up a little bit. So, but yeah, so, and then it, it ended up out on social media. So in the cultivating roots podcast, I want to congratulate you. You had some beautiful roots on that plug. Oh yeah. See, I was really surprised at how well that came out. Yeah. It was four or five days later. And I was, I was pretty impressed to see uh, how all that progressed. I actually just I actually just threw it out about a week ago. It was uh it got a little neglected here in the shop. We've talked about on this podcast getting out and promoting our industry at the grassroots level, no pun intended, but thanks for being a part of that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> so what does John Turnour do uh doing his free time when he's not at the ballpark? Is there any time not at the ballpark to go out and enjoy life or what yeah, you like that's doing your free time. Yeah, that's exactly what what I try to do. My wife and I, we, um, you know, I try to get out and, you know, we obviously uh, put in a lot of time at work and a lot of hours. And oftentimes, when you leave work, you're still working when you're not at work. Um, but, you know, I always try to find, you know, a, a good escape that kind of gets my mind off of things. So, yeah, you know, we enjoy going out for bike rides and runs and vacation. And um, I've I will admit this. I'm not ashamed to admit it, but I've really gotten into yoga. Uh, I do enjoy that. Um, I try I've tried to... yoga, but that's tough. How, how good have you gotten at it? I'm not very good, but I am I'm shocked at how unflexible I really am. That's the scary thing is when you do it, it's, it's amazing how non-flexible you are. I would agree with that. So, um, but no, I mean, it, what started out as a couple years, years ago, um, you know, trying to get into a stretching routine and, you know, waking up every day and just feeling like you can't move and backs always hurting and legs and all that. And I just thought that there's, there's gotta be a way to overcome all this. Um, got introduced to it and uh, was doing it at the gym for a while, really enjoyed it. Uh, did that and Pilates for a while. And then um, work schedule, um, you know, just- What's the difference between Pilates and yoga? Not, not, now you're really- put me on the spot <laughs> two Clark, different forms of exercise i guess um, i don't i don't know anything about pilates but i know a little bit about plates <laughs> do you do yoga clark uh not that i'm aware of <laughs> i don't know i mean it's it's something that i got into you know it's when it was just too difficult to you know to be a part of the classes at the, the gym you know go to YouTube and type in yoga for beginners. And, you know, it's just kind of morphed off of that. And um, I don't know, I enjoy it. I just do the quick little 20, 30 minute videos and, you know, you feel better mentally, physically. And I, I don't know, I, I enjoy it. It's a nice little escape. That was my next question. Have you seen results? Because I self-admittedly as well, John, I, I woke up last week and I've been feeling that soreness every morning too. And I told Christy, uh, my wife, that I thought I needed to start possibly looking into yoga. So now that you're doing it, ha have you seen results? I have. I mean, not physically looking, you can't see the results. But, um, you know, from a physical uh, feel, yeah. You know, I, I guess what really kind of pushed me into it was um, back in 2016, I ended up having back surgery. 
you know, I um, was going to physical therapy before uh, the surgery and uh, my physical therapist commenting how non-flexible I am. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, they, they talk about bending over and touching your toes. I could barely touch my knees. Um, I mean, it was, it was really bad. And that's when they kind of suggested uh, yoga and Pilates. And I took them up on that and started doing that at the gym and really enjoyed it. Um, Post-surgery, uh, the surgeon uh, said the same thing. The best thing that you can do for yourself is get onto a, a routine uh, basis of stretching, whether you just stretch on your own or you do yoga or Pilates, what have you, but that's something that they really recommended. And you know, I've kind of run with it ever since then. And I will say that, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, the, the surgery that has made me feel better um, or uh, that in conjunction with the stretching and the yoga and whatnot, but um, I, I think it's made a big difference. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Maybe we could put that on the uh, conference agenda this year. We could have John oh, do yeah. a uh, morning <laughs> yoga class for all, a the, yoga class. all the sports turf managers in Myrtle Beach this summer. You, you know, wear yes this fall. Do you wear yoga pants, John? <laughs> no, I I am that person in there wearing my my gym mesh shorts and a full on t shirt, and I I definitely do not um you know go in there. I I I'm, I'm the one that does not look like I belong in there. That's for sure. But we do we do yoga in the outfield out here um, twice a year as an event, and both each time that we have it, I keep telling myself I'm going to participate in it. I never have, but I've, I've sat there, I've watched it. I've just never gone out there and, and uh, joined in. We do that event in Charlotte too. We actually had one last week that was a virtual yoga from the ballpark. So that was, okay. that was pretty interesting with, the, with everything that's going on. We, we didn't open up for it, but we did a virtual one. So yeah. it's turned yeah. into a pre pretty popular event. Yeah. Yeah, it has. You know, going back to it, you were asking what I enjoy outside of work, but you know, those those are the things that kind of take my mind off of work. And you know, your job is you know can be stressful at times, and I just feel like you need that that time to to unwind mentally. Uh, you know, whether you go out for a run or a walk or a bike ride, I just I I feel like that time that you're out there just kind of really kind of you know recharges the batteries a little bit and. Um, you know, I'm thankful to where we live, you know, it's a very walkable and bikeable city. And, you know, there's, it does not get old doing any of those things down the national mall and going past the Capitol, the monument, the Lincoln Memorial. And, you know, it's, I go out there quite a bit and it just, it never gets old. So John, how, when did, when did you first come to NC state? Fall of 98. 98. Fall of 98. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was, when did you first start working at State? 2000? Yes, fall of 2000. Yeah. Okay. And then, so, so that was fall of 2000, spring of 2001. Uh, so I was there for the football season, fall of 2000. And this is volunteer, Clark. This is um, when I that's, first that, – That's what I was getting at. So tell a little story on John, and this is this – is, I won't embarrass him too much, but it's a story of how hard work and – being curious about something can get you into a field because John and I were in a, in a turf class together at the time. I was working full-time at NC state. We're getting ready for the 2000 season. So it's the first, our, our opener, John and I had talked and John said, well, I, he kind of liked to maybe come out and see what we do and check out what we do on the grounds crew there at state. So I told him, I said, well, you know, I'll, I'll look and see what, uh, 
what we've got. And I don't know that we can pay you, but we might have an, uh, uh, something volunteer role. Well, we're bearing down on the, the week, the opening week. So this is the first game of Chuck Amato, Philip Rivers' first college football game. That week, we had one of these weeks where there's a low-pressure system, and it rains every day, every single day. We'd paint. It would rain. It would wash the paint away. Uh, I remember on a Thursday night, we, we were out there about 3.30, 4 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. We had all the numbers painted. I've never in 20-some years again seen a hard enough rain to absolutely take freshly painted lines and numbers and wash it down to green grass. And so uh, our only chance to get this field painted was to just basically come in on Friday morning and paint everything on Friday, which meant we had to start around four o'clock. And so I picked up the phone and I called John and I said, John, we need your help tomorrow if you're willing to come. And I, I think he said, well, what time do I need to be there? And I said, we're going to get started about 4 or 4.30. So, uh, a.m. Yeah, yeah, in the morning. So, uh, and and this is volunteer. But the next morning, who's there? 4 o'clock, John Turnour. And uh, we, we were able to get that field painted and uh, introduced him to uh, – to painting a field and, and introduced him to a lot of other people. But, but from that day, I remember thinking this guy, this guy is, uh, if, if he's willing to come out here and volunteer at four o'clock in the morning, cause I didn't want to be there and I was getting paid. But, uh, I remember thinking he's, he's, he's a good one. And, uh, he hadn't let me down. If I'm not mistaken, we had a biscuit that morning, which may or may not have been your first biscuit ever. Well, when you said that I was introduced to, um, uh, the work. I thought you were actually going to say the chicken biscuit, <laughs> but, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's, that's funny, Clark. And I appreciate uh, those kind words and, you know, telling that story, but you know, it's, you know, you, you took me back that many years and it, it all kind of came back to me, but I remember all that and, you know, being able to, to have that opportunity to, to work with you and uh, everyone else on the staff. I mean, it was you know, those are some of the greatest memories I have of this industry. And, you know, coming out of high school, growing up playing sports and, um, you know, obviously, you know, you know, once high school ends, you know, your sports career kind of ends too. So, but to be able to go, go out there and, and experience that from a, a field standpoint and, you know, being out there and working on the field and preparing it and working with the professionals that were there on the field crew and uh, working alongside Clark. And I mean, that, that was so damn exciting um, and, and fun to be a part of. And I think after a couple weeks of that, Clark, is when I was able to to work my first game with you all as well. Yeah, uh, yeah probably. So. I think it was the Florida State game. I think that was one of my first games I worked. It was just so exciting. And, you know, I think about, you know, how you get started in the industry and everybody's got their own story. And I'm just so thankful for, you know, for Clark and, and Ray and um, the twins and everybody else there on, on the staff there at NC State. I mean, those are just some of the greatest memories I have in this industry and great people and great learning opportunity and, and really just kind of, you know, set the foundation for my career. And, you know, I'm very grateful for that opportunity and, and everybody that was involved with that. And, you know, you always think, you know, um, how different would your career be if you if you hadn't done that um, or however you got started in the career. Uh, however you got started in your career. And, you know, I'm just, again, very thankful and grateful for those opportunities. And 
that's why I keep saying Clark too, you know, these are career long relationships that we've developed, yeah. but you know, every time I talk to you, Clark, or every time I see you, you know, I go back to, you know, those days sitting in the classroom with you and I'll be seeing you coming in, you know, with, with your clothes having paint on them and your backpack and you always look like you were disheveled <laughs> in some regard, like, God, where is this guy coming from? When I found out you worked on the staff, I like, I've got to get to know this guy. And, you know, I'm, I'm envious. I'm jealous. I mean, he's out there working on the football field. That's awesome. How can I get involved? And, you know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's funny, um, you know, to, to, to think back on those times. Good times, no doubt, no doubt. And, and we're all proud of you, too, so. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't be more proud of you, brother. I'm proud of all you guys as well, and I'm proud that we've all been able to carry these relationships on for, for so many years, you know, and it's, you know, Jimmy Simpson's, uh, you know, another one we're talking about Durham and, you know, the relationships and, you know, I've known Jimmy as long as I've known you guys. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, uh, again, somebody else who's very impactful on, on, you know, somebody's career. And I think that we've all had an impact on each other. And, um, you know, I think that these are, again, you know, career long relationships that we've had and we learn something from each other every time that we talk. And, you know, I'm just, again, just so grateful and thankful for the relationships I've been able to have over the years and for all of you guys and, you know, just, just really enjoy and, and thankful. You know, one story you may not remember, John, uh, when you were in Durham, and I, I was, I was on the game day crew, I think when you were there and, yeah. and you talk about how we've, you know, helped shape each other's careers. You know, you, you really helped shape my career and I don't think I've ever told you the story, but uh, see if you remember, I came in early one day and, and, you know, when the guys came in early, typically you had to go out and, and mow the batter's eye if you came in yeah. early and, I came in early and you're like, all right, Robbie, go mow the batter's eye. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And you and you kind of gave me this look and you kind of gave me this intense, you know, re-ask, will you go up there and mow that? And, you know, that, that really helped shaped, you know, this is serious and, you know, you to, to treat each day and each job with the same level of intensity that, you know, you would, you know, doing anything. So uh, you really helped shape my career and I always kind of come back on that moment. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, that's the batter's eye. That was always a fun project to do, wasn't it? Yeah, because you had to use that, what felt like a 10-inch mower. I think it was a 22-inch mower. You had to use that push mower and, and push that, what, 45-degree incline. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember uh, meeting you the first time, Robbie, out there on the field. And uh, I think I was out there by myself, and you were coming in for an interview, I think. Um, I'm not mistaken. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, uh, the DBAP, a lot of good memories there for sure. A lot of good memories. And it's funny, you know, when you think about it, you know, here we are this many years later and the technology that we have with radars and weather and apps and all this. And I oftentimes think back to those times in Durham. And uh, I remember a lot of times we would sleep overnight. Um, you know, if the tarp was on the field that we had to get started early in the morning, we'd sleep in the break room. And um, I remember we'd go out and get a biscuit in the morning for breakfast and uh, come in and it's, you know, again, you didn't have that technology then to, to figure out the best time to pull the tarp off the field. It was essentially, if it wasn't raining, let's pull it. And, uh, you know, you didn't have the app to look at. You didn't have an hourly forecast. You didn't have a radar. It's amazing to think how far that, you know, we've been able to come over the years uh, with, our, with our jobs and uh, how technology has, has really made it, you know, a lot easier for us to be successful. How's the mall holding up uh, uh, up there? I know a couple of years ago they did a big renovation to the turf grass on the mall. How's that doing, John? Is it holding up pretty good? 
you know, it is. Um, I think they've, the park service there and their contracting partners, they've done a phenomenal job there. And, um, you know, I frequent that area quite a bit. Uh, we don't live very far from the National Mall and, you know, going down there, whether it be bike rides or runs or walks, uh, you know, I've certainly I've seen it quite a bit over the years prior to the construction project. And and here we are a couple of years removed from that, that project. And um, I've been really impressed with how well they've held up, you know, the National Mall. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of activity that takes place out there on those turf plots, you know, from recreational pickup games to, uh, all types of, you know, small events and social gatherings, and there's just always activity out there. And, you know, prior to the construction project and hearing and reading about what they were doing, I kept saying to myself, I don't see how you can maintain the turf out there with all of the activity. And, um, you know, they put a good program in place. I know that they've been, uh, you know, routinely out there, you know, from a, a maintenance standpoint, regular mowing, uh, irrigation, better equipment out there, all things that, you know, you never saw prior to the project. So, you know, here we are a couple of years removed from that project and, you know, it's, it looks great out there. It really does. For any of you listeners out there, uh, if you, if you have a chance, you can do a quick Google search of that whole project. It was really neat to see uh, a transformation and it sounds like it's, if what John's saying, it sounds like it, it worked. You yeah. know, they've, they're actually, are able to maintain grass on that area now that it sounds like uh, years ago they it, it just turned to dirt so uh that's a neat thing to take a look at if you've got some time to kill seems like a lot of a lot of us have more time to kill these days than than we used to but yeah. it's interesting yeah and it's, it, it's all the turf plots between the u.s capitol and the washington monument and um but but yeah you're you're right Clark it was it was an unbelievable project that they uh, they did and uh, they've done a they've done a great job maintaining it ever since. We talk a lot about uh, fails on every podcast and our last one we had uh, we talked the entire time about fails. Is there one fail that you have that really stands out? Oh man, I'm sure there's plenty. Um, you know, not that it's sports related, but. You know, way back early in my career on the golf side, I think I told you guys this story. And this is the where I've learned, you know, to always be truthful and honest to the people you work with. But, um, you know, when I was working on a golf course years ago when I was in school, um, you know, I had something happen at work and had an incident at work led to me getting 36 stitches in my hands and uh, something I didn't want to own up to. Did something stupid at work and ended up just tell it just tell it john (laughs) well i ended up running over a uh a uh, bunker rake on a golf course and um you know i you know of course me just being young and dumb and not really paying attention and i thought i could be smart and and push it out of the way without hitting it with a mower and you know ended up cutting my hands on this on this rake and stupidly um you know, ended up with uh, two big cuts throughout my hands and 36 stitch- stitches later and a lot of embarrassment, a lot of frustration. And, you know, so that was way on early in the career. And, you know, again, I've learned a lot ever since then and always stress, you know, <laughs> to, to be truthful and honest with your, with your staffs and all that. So, but yeah, really, really dumb thing that I did. And that was my 21st birthday year, so ended up having my first beer legally, drinking a uh, beer uh, with a straw. 
Do you still do that, John? I, I was like this, you know, holding the beer can and, and using a straw. And, uh, you know, I can remember, you know, it was right in the summer months too. But, yeah, I remember my mom coming home from work to feed me. And, you know, I mean, I couldn't use my hands at all. So, so. Good times. Good times. A lot of, yeah, really, uh, <laughs> really dumb. Well, Clark, I don't, I don't know if you have anything else to embarrass John with, but. We're, I, do, I do, but I'm, I won't. I want to hear it, Clark. Uh, I don't know that you want it recorded. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> I think Matt had to step away, so I think Matt's – we've lost Matt. But uh, we want to thank you for joining us today, John. Um, we really appreciated everything you brought to the podcast today. We want to thank all of our 2020 partners, and we're going to have uh, Casey Carrick up next week. So everybody tune in, look forward to that. So thank you, John. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. Thanks, John.